Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Berman Hour podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Berman. We're going to do a show a little bit differently this week. No ad reads, no unnecessary copy, no plugs. Instead, I'm going to play an interview that actually was on the Berman Hour podcast about a year ago in the fall of 2020 when my guest was my friend Emily Matview. Emily took their own life earlier this year, which is quite sad and unfortunate. And I was on the fence about doing, you know, this kind of in memoriam show or to replay this interview. But my friends in Las Vegas, where Emily had resided, had a celebratory show, concert, this past weekend, and it looked great. My friend Jesse Pino played. I believe my friend Brock played. Mercy Music played. Rainer played. It was just all the friends in Vegas and, and people that I love dearly got together to celebrate Emily's life, and it made me want to share this interview with people in the off chance that there were people who now know the Berman Hour podcast but maybe didn't hear the interview with Emily because I think it was my second or third episode ever. Emily says a lot in this interview about their struggle, their transition, and the cultural impact of that, the personal impact of everything. And I started to think, well, maybe Emily says something in this interview from a year ago that could help somebody today. And if that is the case, then why the hell not? So in memoriam, in loving memory of my good friend Emily Matview, I just want to share this interview again, and I look forward to seeing you all next week. I'll be back with another new interview. Until then, enjoy my conversation from last year with the late, great Emily Matview. Peace. Or a Less Than Jake song, I guess. It's interesting you say that because History of a Boring Town by Less Than Jake, I mean, that was that was one of the songs that I, I heard and thought, oh, I guess I'm okay if I don't leave my hometown. <laughs> but, but then, <laughs> yeah. and then a few years later, they, they put out um, on Borders and Boundaries, there was that song, um, uh, and I swear it's oh, the last time. Yeah, yeah. And um, I was like, I'm yeah. never going to leave my hometown. I can't, I can't do it. <laughs> I, I mean, my hometown is, is basically Vegas at this point, and I would have a really hard time leaving because I'm so spoiled by everything being 24 hours. Well, I guess not during COVID, but you know, I need to be able to go and get like chicken nuggets at four in the morning. I think everyone deserves that, Emily. I mean, come on. It's the 21st century. I think that's a human, it's a human right. It's low on the list of human rights that need to be addressed. <laughs> a nugget for everyone. <laughs> Yes. No matter what time. Yeah. Are are you, were you born and raised in Las Vegas or in the general Las Vegas area? I was born in Chicago, but I moved here when I was, I moved to Vegas when I was five. Okay. So I've pretty much been raised here the whole time. I got to spend just a little bit of time in Chicago, like enough time to enjoy playing with the snow, but not enough time to have to be annoyed with the snow you weren't responsible for shoveling all that shit out of your yeah. sidewalk. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why all the old heads in my life are always complaining about it. I'm like, this is great. Let's go throw snowballs. 
<laughs> yeah. What do you know? What what caused your family to, or what made your family want to move out of Chicago and to fabulous Las Vegas, Nevada? Yeah. Um, well, um, you know, my dad passed away, and my mom, her family had moved to Las Vegas, so she wanted to move out here to sure. be closer to her family who then promptly all left and went back to the Midwest. So we ended up here on our own, basically. Oh, well, my condolences on the passing of your father as, as such a young, a a young person that that's gotta be really tough. Yeah. Yeah. I was sad at the time, but you know, it was, it was a a long time ago now. I I didn't really think about it too much. Yeah. And, And you know, now that I hear you talk, and you know we're not in a noisy restaurant or we're not at a show. <laughs> I can I can hear Midwest in your voice, Emily. I, I've never noticed that before. Yeah, sometimes people say they can pick it up. I, I don't know. Maybe I. Yeah, I guess I got a little bit of it from preschool. There's not much in there, but it's it's in there. I have family in the Chicagoland area, and when I hear them talk, oh my god! I mean, <laughs> I can hear it. <laughs> or if they start yeah. talking about the Cubbies, oh my yeah. god! You know, the Bears. Or the the bears, yeah. You have a you have a little bit. It's not much. It's not much. Yeah, that's 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 wonderful. I mean, Vegas. People don't associate Las Vegas as a great place to live because, in a lot of ways, it's America's playground for debauchery of all sorts. Can you speak a little bit to what it was like, you know, as as a little kid growing up in a city like Las Vegas? Yeah, I mean. As a little kid, I don't think I really, like, I don't really think I thought about it that much as a little kid, because even though I came here from Chicago, I I was so little in Chicago that it wasn't like I was experienced with a lot of things. So growing up here as a kid, um, like at first I didn't think anything was that weird, you know, that like all of our movie theaters are inside of casinos or, um, you know, when we'd go out to eat, it would be inside of a casino. Mm-hmm. Um, not everything out here is casinos, but we just lived um, next to a casino um, when we first moved out here. So, um, you know, I didn't think about it too much as a kid. It just seemed like a regular, regular place to grow up, you know, going to school out here, um, just, just doing all the regular stuff um, you could imagine. I don't think I realized how weird it was until I got a little bit older, um, cause I, I worked for the school district for a long time, um, in my twenties mm-hmm. and doing things like going on field trips to casinos, going past all the like strip club billboards and more hot girls directly to you billboards with a bunch of middle school kids. Um, it made me think a little bit more about how it, it is kind of weird out here sometimes, but, um, I don't think it's as weird as people think, um, when the internet started becoming a thing, you know, when I was in middle school, I, I think I kind of started to realize that too, because I would be chatting with people on like punk forums and, and comic book forums and stuff. And I started to realize how many people like legit thought that I just lived in a casino or that <laughs> my, my mom must work in a casino or like people don't realize how much there is outside of the strip. And I mean, you get to see it from playing here, not on the strip, but yeah you know, it's, people are are so focused on that aspect of it. Um, but we do get that benefit that, you know, because of the strip, we have things that are open 24 hours. So I like it. Yeah. And there's something to be said too, that, well, two things. 
there's there's a whole side of Las Vegas that is not the Strip. Yeah. And in a lot of ways is very separated and different from the Strip. There's a coexistence, of course, because it's like any major city, you know. Yeah. Not everything in New York is is Central Park West. It's just not how it works. But there's also something to be said for the the it it's, it seems to be a really vibrant working class town in a lot of ways yeah. because people don't people don't take into account how many people work at these casinos because it, it's not you know if they're seeing movies and stuff they maybe know a few casinos by name but there's dozens and dozens of these things and a number of them are massive yeah. so the just the mere fact that they employ so many tens of thousands of people hundreds of thousands perhaps uh it it really speaks to to Vegas being the working class town that so many other cities in America are, are still desperately trying to, to be, or, you know, that's the slogan they're trying to cling to. And, and Vegas is just mopping the floor with them. Yeah, it, it really is. I mean, I worked on the strip once I worked at Caesar's palace and the amount of people just like the, the employee parking garage was like bigger than the regular parking garage. Like there's a lot of people working there. Mm-hmm. What did you do at, at Caesar's? Oh, I, there was a, there used to be a 3d ride there called the race for Atlantis. So I got to go into work and get into a toga and guide people through this, um, 3d experience. That sounds pretty fun. It was, that was only my second job. I worked at the grocery store before that. So going from just kind of like a mundane, um, you know, bagging groceries and getting carts to this like more theatrical, you know, being in a costume and, um, you know, taking people on this adventure was, it was really cool. It, it was one of the more fun jobs that I had. And every, every now and then, really the best part about that job was that every now and then, on occasion, we would get a call from Michael Jackson's people and he would want to bring his family on the ride. So he would just buy all the tickets for the whole day. And usually he never ended up showing up. So we would just get to spend the whole day getting paid, hanging out in the break room. We would just play like street fighter or sure whatever. but did they ever show up did he and his family ever yeah. show up and you see them yeah they did come through a couple times um you know we had really specific rules you know not not to look him in the eye don't ask him any questions don't ask for a photo um you know i so badly wanted to work in like references to his songs um you know like if, if you don't keep your seatbelt fashioned i'm gonna tell you to beat it or something like that but i didn't want to get fired so <laughs> I was nice. That's a great story. That's a great story. Well, settle something for me, and I'm going to have you be the ultimate authority. My wife, Kate, who you've met before, will will inevitably listen to this podcast, and she's going to know where this is going. So we moved to Lancaster, Pennsylvania. This is where I grew up, and you know, this we, we made the plan to move, and we closed on the house before COVID and everything. So this was always the plan, and it it's a good plan because it's good to be close to my family. Yeah. The the only other place that we truly considered moving was Las Vegas and and I was pushing for it because I I'm a firm believer in that working class ethos that's that's so strong in Las Vegas and I like the dynamic of you know it's like you have a part of town that is so bloody touristy that the rest of it is just real people being yeah. themselves and and uh it do, it didn't seem to have that kind of pervasive cosmetic plastic nature that Los Angeles tends to have and it's cheaper and we could have afforded a house and all that stuff. So, you know, did you th- 
think that your experience growing up there and, and as a young person and even as a young adult, even though we're both not <laughs> that, that terribly young anymore, I mean, do you, is it, do the positives outweigh the negatives? Yeah, I, I think so. I think, I think so, so for sure. Um, cause it is true. Like, like once you've been out here and you know, like, you know, where the, the, like where the shows are, where the culture is, um, where things aren't super expensive because the strip is really expensive. Yeah. Then it's, it becomes really great. Like, like, like nowhere else really. Um, it's always really fun. Like when bands do come here and, you know, our friends and I will take them to like, um, you know, bars downtown where you can get whiskey sodas for like, you know, one or $2 depending on the night. Um, it's really mm-hmm. fun. Yeah, I think now, you know, and, and COVID notwithstanding, but let's say 2019, <laughs> it's very it's very easy for uh, somebody who's in the punk rock and hardcore subculture to look at Las Vegas and think, oh, yeah, there's a substantial kind of underbelly of subculture there because of punk rock bowling being practically 20 years old at this point where there's always kind of been this at least annual influx of you know, the punks for lack of a better term, but can you speak to what your experience was getting into the underground subculture, the punk and hardcore and, and, and just what it was like in a city like Las Vegas that at a certain time was not known for that or, or was it? And and we just didn't know. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, I got into punk during, middle school and like early high school. And it was that period of time that punk got really big, you know, when Green Day blew up and Offspring blew up, um, you know, Bad Religion was getting huge, Rancid. So it just seemed like there were so many local bands. Um, we had a venue called The Hundredge and there was a smaller venue connected to it called The Sanctuary. So every weekend, you know, you'd have a band like, um, you know, No Effects or The Circle Jerks or something playing the Huntridge side, you'd have the smaller bands like um, H2O, Saves a Day, playing the smaller place in the back, um, plus all the local bands that we had. So, you know, having that growing up, you know, I feel really fortunate. Um, the city is really, the, the city itself is really strict on rules when it comes to all ages venues. So it's been kind of tricky ever since, like whatever our standard spot is pretty much changes every year. Yeah. You've gotten to see that. I think you've played a different venue probably every time you've come here. So, you know, that's always been a tricky spot. Like we don't have one of those things like um, Chain Reaction that's just been there forever, you know, but people here are really resilient. So as soon as one place goes down, there's always you know, a, a new group of people ready to to pick up and try again somewhere else. Yeah, I guess, I guess then I, I'm misspoken and, and I'm, I'm misinformed and I jumped to the wrong conclusion. I, I, I was under the impression that it wasn't really until punk rock bowling started to uh, ex- expand and, and become the festival that we know it, it to be today that bands were putting Las Vegas on their tour itineraries. But you're telling me that quite the contrary. There were there were shows happening there in the 90s as they were happening in, in my town of Lancaster or in, uh, you know, Austin or anywhere else. Yeah, the, the like, whole 90s, like, skate punk, pop punk, um, like, third wave ska, 
like all of that kind of stuff was really popular in this area, probably because of the proximity to Southern California, where a lot of those bands were from. So a lot of those bands made Vegas their first spot when they started touring outside of California and managed to keep coming through again and again. So that was really nice. It's kind of weird in Vegas with bands because, you know, either you get bands that come, you know, that continue coming here and like build up an audience and do extremely well, or you just have bands that never come here at all, or it takes them like a really long time to get here. Um, I don't know. It's, it's kind of weird for being like such a city that like, you know, everybody's heard of Las Vegas. Um, it's really like hit or miss who actually would come here during that time. But sure. you know, most of the big ones came through and did really well. Yeah. And now it's a thing. I mean, yeah. everybody plays Vegas now. Almost everyone. Almost everyone. We just got Royce Manor play here for the very first time in January, which is wild since they only live like six hours away in LA, but it took them. Where like did they play? Um, they played at the Hard Rock Hotel. There anymore. It was like the last show there. So um, we, were, we were just about to get when when COVID started up. Um, we had just gotten announced our first time of Pup playing here, and they were going to play like right around Easter. So my friends and I were all really excited about that. And at the at the time, we were still naive enough to think COVID was going to be done by then, but it, <laughs> it was not. So <laughs> we're still waiting on that pub show. We're still waiting on that pub show. All right, we'll 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 call the, <laughs> the Canadian consulate and see what we can do once things <laughs> thaw out. Hopefully, um, at, at what point, you know, in your involvement in the scene, did you decide that you wanted to be kind of a custodian of records of sorts? You wanted to be a documentarian with with what you started with Punks in Vegas. So I started Punks in Vegas a little over nine years ago. I, um, you know, I've been going to shows since I was um, like 14, um, 13, 13, 14, something like that. So I was like in my late, late, later 20s when, when I started doing this, I had, I had, you know, I was, I'd been really focused on college and graduate school for a while. And then once that was all done, I had a lot of free time. So I was able to start going to more and more shows again. And I was still going to shows when I was in school, but now I had all this free time. So I didn't have to skip something um, to make sure that I was getting you know my homework done and everything. Yeah. So I was going to more and more shows and I was getting like, you know, I would see like, um, there was a couple things that came up at the same time. Like I would post a lot um, just on my personal page, like I'm, that's probably MySpace back then. Um, maybe Facebook, I don't know, but I, I would post about like shows that I was really excited about and, um, no one would really say anything and and maybe the turnout would be kind of low. And I kept trying to figure out how to like promote these things and like try to help promote them. They were my shows, but I was trying to figure out like how I could help, um, promote these shows and make them bigger and make the bands that I like, um, want to come here more and I also was noticing a lot, um, and, and kind of goes along with what you were saying um, just a little bit ago, is that a lot of a lot of like um, bands, especially like smaller up, up and coming bands, um, had just they didn't realize that there was like a scene in Las Vegas, and mm-hmm. that it's a place that they should that they should come to, and is actually kind of cool. So I just thought, 
you know, I've, I've always wanted to be like, like I've always wanted to be a, a writer, like, like being an author was like my dream job when I was a kid and now I'm a librarian. So I, I kind of work with authors. Um, but I, I thought like, well, I really like writing and I really like going to shows. So maybe I could, um, start writing about these shows and like writing about how cool they are and, you know, putting it out there and then bands would share it. And then their friend bands would read it and be like, Oh, Hey, I didn't realize there was stuff going on in Vegas, but, but I guess there is maybe, maybe we should come to Vegas too. And that, that was kind of like the, the, the genesis of starting that. I just, you know, I was talking over the idea with, with a friend at dinner and he was like, it's my friend, um, Aaron Bautista. And he was just like, yeah, that sounds like a cool idea. So I just went home and, and did it and just started doing it. Yeah, Punks in Vegas struck me as the first web blog or, or you know, web, whatever we want to call it. But t- to me, it struck me as a fanzine. It was the first time that I saw something that was entirely online that read and really showcased itself as if it was something from 15 years earlier that would have been photocopied and handed out uh, at shows that we were going to. You know what I mean? It really yeah. felt like... Uh, without being an, a nostalgic kick, it felt very much like a throwback, but it was spotlighting, at, you know, everything that was happening in Vegas. If it was the Bouncing Souls or the Dropkick Murphys at that level, or it was, you know, the core and <laughs> Divided Heaven and Jeff yeah. Rowe. And, you know, you, you, you all really did a good job of covering the expansive amount of things that were happening in Vegas and, and really put Vegas on the map. Were you doing it solo for a number of years in the beginning or did you always kind of have a small crew of people with you in the in the beginning it was essentially just me um my uh my my partner at the time helped with editing my stuff I, I think she was just basically like there's too many spelling errors. I can't read this. I'm going to edit your stuff. So that was extremely helpful. It's good to have somebody like that around though, with that kind of stuff. Yeah. I was really glad that she was able to help out and and kind of make things look a little bit more um, professional. Um, But like um, for for the first little bit, it was just me as far as creating the content goes. I really didn't envision it at all when I started as being, you know, what what it's become is more of a community project. It was just like, my blog to talk about things that, that, that I liked. And I, I did like try to keep, you know, the, the focus, you know, you're saying with the smaller bands and bigger bands was very much intentional because I had this idea, like, I just wanted to talk about the things that I liked, whether they were, you know, huge bands, you know, tiny bands. I, I also had this idea of like, you know, like, like sometimes you meet people and they'll be into those, bigger bands, right? Like they'll be into the bouncing souls. Like that'll be their favorite band. And then, you know, trying to reach those people and be like, Hey, if you like the bouncing souls, there's this band, um, you know, the core that kind of sounds like them and even covers them sometimes. And they're right here in town and you can see them all the time. And out of, uh, you know, a, a venue that, um, <laughs> you know, it's not the house of blues. So that the, the venue they're playing at, the, the beer isn't, $18. So <laughs> yeah. um, the ticket is cheaper. The drinks are cheaper. The parking is cheaper. Yeah. And I, I just, I, I wanted to try to make that, that, that connection. And then even for like bands that were touring, you know, you have some people that 
only go to local shows, like just to come and hang out with their friends. So, so I kind of thought of it the reverse way too. Like, oh, well, maybe some of those people will be like, oh, there's like a, a, a mid-level band coming through that I've never heard of, but you know, they sound like this band that I'm friends with. So I'll, I'll come and check that out too. So I was just trying to get that connection going in people's heads that there's this yeah. stuff going at. There's just like that like tendency for people to just stop listening to, to new things when like they're out of high school or whatever, or, and then they, then they just think like there's, there's that hard times article that it's something like, um, you know, scene died exactly the moment <laughs> this guy left or, or whatever. Yeah. Um, but I, I would just like think about that kind of stuff, you know, you know, since I was in my, my, my like mid to late twenties at that point, I knew a lot of people like that. So I wanted to be able to showcase to them too, that like, Scene's still going on. It's still pretty great. Um, should come check out a show sometime. Yeah, and I think you and I are roughly the same. I'm 38. How old are you? 37. Okay, so more or less. I mean, but you remember a time where punk rock was not exclusively on the internet. Yeah. And, you know, when I was playing in, in my first few bands, and we were fortunate enough to go, you know, just to Philadelphia and we would play with a band from New Jersey or something. Yeah. And we would get zines from other places and it was very much a window into what that scene was like, you know, yeah. spell, spell checking be damned. Like yeah. it was just a, it was a great view into that. And I, I really give your, your site a lot of credit for me wanting and, and, you know, incessantly bothering my my then girlfriend and, and now wife that I was like, Vegas is always fun. It's always cool. It's more affordable. Let's ditch LA and, and go to Vegas. So yeah. maybe we'll be there, you know, maybe in, in 30 years we'll, we'll be there to retire and we'll be, uh, you know, we can, we can meet up at, at a, at a tiki bar and have a drink with you. <laughs> it's like we can go to the heart attack grill again. <laughs> yes. Oh, that's right. That's right. The uh, idea to do before I had to go shoot 20 bands of punk rock bowling is eat 20 pounds of hamburger. Oh my gosh. I forgot that we <laughs> did that. Oh yeah. For those that are listening that, that aren't aware, if, if you've been to downtown Las Vegas, there's a restaurant called the heart attack grill where they have, you know, like an elephant scale or a truck yeah. scale or something outside and, the whole, the whole gimmick is that you have to wear, uh, like scrubs what, or something. You have to wear like, yeah, the scrubs that you wear when you're a patient at a hospital. And like <laughs> they all, they have TVs that aren't playing sports. They're just playing the owner on, you know, Jerry Springer talking about how he takes pride in giving people heart. Attacks. It's just, Oh yeah. God. And if you don't at, finish your meal, they hit you with a paddle. Yes. I've never been so terrified to finish my food. <laughs> I know exactly. Oh, I I completely forgot about that. And I would not I would not recommend that. Recipe. It's not like the burger was great. No. You know, the it was great company, but the burger not not not, not so much. Um <laughs> Well, you have a you have a, a photography exhibit. Yeah. Dare we call it a show, a photography <laughs> show that's coming up. It's actually happening now. It's running through the 17th of next month. And it is at the Whitney Library in Las Vegas, and it's called Explosion of Silence, which I think is a Lawrence Arms reference. Yeah. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay. You got it. Like, no no one else is like, well, no one else that has said it to me. They're always like, where did you get it from? I was talking to my friend Chris yesterday, and he was like, he's like, oh, what song is that from? I'm Chris from Span Rainer. 
And he's like, what song is that from? I'm like, you covered that song. Your band covered it for punks in Vegas. But, um, Chris yeah. is such a poser. We're calling him out. Chris, you're a poser. Yeah. You didn't know 100 resolutions. <laughs> oh my goodness. I could oh know, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, um, yeah, as far as the name goes, I actually, you know, so if people are listening and they don't know, I do these acoustic sessions with punks in Vegas and they're called the strip down sessions. And, um, I never really liked that name. My, my intent with the name was that we were filming them on the strip in downtown. So I just kind of mashed that together, but it doesn't really come across that way. It just comes across as kind of generic and maybe like six or eight months after I started releasing the videos, I was in my car. I was listening to Lawrence Arms. I was singing along to that song. And I was like, oh man, Explosion of Silence. That would have been such a cool name. And, you know, the um, Nervous Energy sessions had started by that point. Yeah. Their, their name is a line from the song Bamboo Bones by Against Me. And that's like one of my favorite songs ever. So I was so jealous that um, that guy, Ru- Ru- Ryan, Ryan Russell, um, I think is his name, but I was, I was so jealous that like he came up with that idea because that's such a cool name from such a cool song. And then I heard that Lawrence Arms lyric and I was like, oh man, that could have been like the name for these sessions, but I didn't want to change them. But I just kind of like kept that name in my head over the years because I wanted to use it for something. And then when this solo gallery came up, I was like, oh, this would be so perfect for it because it's like, the, you know, the photos capture like the explosive energy you get from a show, but they're just in in a picture. So they're silent. And they're also in a library, which is supposed to be (laughs) silent, but, but actually very rarely is. So um, (laughs) I just thought it fit so well. So I was was really happy ultimately that I didn't use it on something earlier because it just, it just fits so well with this. makes me happy. Yeah, that's a perfect fit. And that's great that you've held on to that little you know, nugget of, of poetry from when you had that idea to all these years later. Um, but correct me if I'm wrong, but, but this is, a, a showcase of Emily, of you. Yes. It's, it's not so much a showcase of punks in Vegas. Was that a deliberate kind of de-branding? Yeah, I did go that route on purpose so last year I had my first gallery. It was a Punks in Vegas gallery and it was a combo gallery with some of the other photographers that shoot for the site. And that was, you know, such a great experience. Like I really loved getting to hang out with my photographer friends and I got to look at their photos, um, you know, as well as mine being next to them. And, you know, they're also talented and cool and it was such a good experience. And when, when that gallery was coming to a close, I was trying to think about what I wanted to do next because I did have a lot of prints left over and, you know, I just have a small apartment. Like I don't need like a, a bunch of my own photos and frames taking up space. <laughs> you don't need to look at your, your work just at every turn. I'm, I'm really self-critical. So like, <laughs> I, I don't want to stare at my own photos. Like I'll just drive myself crazy. But right. I, you know, so I thought like a, a solo gallery would be something, it, it would be something cool to do. So I, you know, I work for the library district as well. Um, and I really like the gallery system that we have um, in the library district. So I just filled out one of the apps on the, the website, lvc, lvccld.org. 
And the gallery manager, um, Darren, just messaged me, said he wanted to do it. Um, and yeah, like I had a couple reasons for just doing this as, you know, as Emily instead of um, under Punks in Vegas. Uh, a big part of it is that even though Punks in Vegas started as, you know, with the original intention that it was just me talking about the punk scene, taking pictures of the punk scene, whatever it's, I feel like it's grown so much behind that to where like, I don't feel like I'm punks in Vegas and I don't feel like it would feel right. Sure. It's a collective and you're part of that collective and you're the head of that collective by default because you're the creator. But yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. And then I just, um, I don't know. I, you know, I, I changed my name legally this year and I really, like, I really like my new name. I, I got to pick it out myself, so I'm glad that I like it. But I, I, I just like, um, like, I'm happy with it now. So I don't feel like I need to um, hide behind, you know, the Punks in Vegas name or or, or anything else. Like, I, I can just be me. And yeah, I wanted to ask if 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 that, in terms of the, your your personal transition, you know, was, was that on, on purpose where you really kind of, you, you know, you're obviously showcasing your great work, which you've done before. I, I wasn't aware that punks in Vegas had, had previously had a show uh, or a showcase like that, but this is the first time you're doing this by yourself, correctly. Yeah. yeah the first one solo gallery. Yeah. And you're doing this solo show and you're kind of putting your new self forward too. Yeah. Um, it, it's kind of scary sometimes, but, but really exciting. I, I get, you know, I, I've dropped off so many flyers, for instance, for this show or showcase, whatever you want to call it. Um, partially because I have nothing else to do because of COVID, but also I just like, I, I get so happy seeing that name on the flyer. Like it just makes me feel really good. And um, I've, I've barely got to see anyone since like I, I sort of made this transition public. So there's yeah. more people finding out. So, you know, getting my name out in that way is also helpful. Um, I, I just, yeah, I just, um, you know, it, it just feels like, it just feels like me and it, it's something that I'm comfortable with. And, uh, you know, I, I probably wouldn't have put my name on it prior to this. It probably would have just been explosion of silence, even if I had not used the punks in Vegas name, but, um, you know, I'm just really really happy with my name now. So I wanted it out there. Yeah. It's twofold. I mean, it's, it's a showcase of your work and it's a celebration of yeah. kind of the new you, right? Yeah. What, what's the significance behind choosing the word Emily, the word, the name Emily, <laughs> you know, like I wish that I had like, like a super exciting story about like some great Emily that inspired me or something. But honestly, like I just read something in a magazine once a number of years ago talking about people who are transgender and talking about choosing names. And I just remember in the article, it was like, when you're, when you're picking a new name, you should look at names that were popular the year you were born. So it's like a name that would like that, that you might've actually been given during that time. And I don't know, that just like stuck out in my head so when I was trying to figure out what name 
to, to, to change in, to like change my name to, I pulled up a list of names from the year I was born and just kind of looked up and down them and <laughs> tried to see like which one just like which one I wanted. And, mm-hmm. um, that one just really, it just felt right. Um, I, I had tried a couple of names like in years past, but, um, you know, when I was really committing to doing this, this time, like, you know, telling people and, and, and moving forward with this, um, that the, it just felt right. Did that help with the, the, what I presume to be the struggle? You know, it, it's, it's like, if you know that you're going through this and you, your body is going through this and, and you, you, you feel this in your heart of hearts, but you've committed to a name that you're, you know, kind of like ambiguous about or not really into, <laughs> like, did it, did it help that you, that you were, for lack of a better term, you know, armed with a, a beautiful name such as Emily that you truly loved? Did that, is that made this transition a, a little bit smoother? I think so. I mean, you know, when I initially started telling people, I mean, if I'm talking about my more recent history, when I, like when I told my group of friends and everything, I hadn't picked out a name yet and they all asked and I was just like, I don't know. And like, I, I don't know. I, I just like, um, you know, once I had that down, I think it did make it a lot easier to start telling people. And then eventually when I was able to tell everybody what was going on, um, and just shift to using that, you know, change my social media, do all that kind of stuff. Uh, it, it definitely helped, I think. Yeah. And, and I think that's a great idea that you went back and looked at the year that you were born to get something that is timely because ultimately that is, you know, you are a byproduct of that year. And, and if you were born in the early eighties, like me, you know, you're, you've got some 80s stench on you, no matter what you do, we can't wash it off of us. you know. Yeah. And so if, if I think if you, uh, you know, if you named yourself anything, but like, you know, there's so many people named Aiden and Willow now, you yeah. know, <laughs> if you had a very 2019, 2020 name, I don't know, but Emily, Emily, it, it, I feel like that, that really works for you. And, and it seems like you feel it really works for you too. Yeah. And, and, you know, another thing with that name too, I guess, is that I don't have like another association with it. Like, um, you know, like, like, like it doesn't make me think of like a specific person or like someone in my life or, you know, anything like that. Like it, it just feels like me. And I'm glad that I like it because I went through, it was a huge hassle to get all my stuff changed. So it, it would have been a bummer if I didn't like it and had to pick something else. Yeah. If, if you don't mind me asking, you know, is, has this been something that has been weighing on you for a long time? Yeah. I mean, I've basically been struggling with it my whole life. Um, and I mean, it, you know, it's so different for everyone. So like, you know, I can talk about how things were like for me, um, but it's going to be different for everybody that experiences this. Um, so I always try to make that, that clear because people a lot of people seem to think that there's just like one certain way that people, you know, discover this kind of stuff about themselves. But, you know, I feel like I always felt this way. Um, but like, and like, I feel like I always felt this way. And then I was like a little bit more casual about it when I was really young and the adults in my life didn't react, um, very positively to it. And, um, as a little kid, you just like, well, I don't know why these, 
old people are mad at me. So I, I guess I'm just going to try not to, to be this way or, or do this or, or, or whatever. And, um, you know, growing up, uh, especially growing up in the nineties and I was born in the eighties, but, you know, going to, going to school in the nineties, growing up in the nineties, you know, being in middle school and high school in the nineties, like it was a very different time for how, so it's like, I didn't even realize what being transgender was until I was in my twenties. Like at, like in the nineties, there was like the only time it would really come up in the media, at least in what I saw was always like in this negative sense, like, um, people being crazy or villains, like, you know, in, um, like Ace Ventura or like on all the talk shows. Or Silence of the Lambs, you know, the, yeah. the crazed murderer was, yeah, that's, yeah. So it's like you you were pigeonholed culturally for generations. Yeah. So it was, it was really hard because, you know, I could feel some way of, about myself internally, but then the, the way that the things that I was seeing in the media were making me think like, well, that can't be me because I'm not like these people that I'm seeing on TV. And it seems silly in retrospect, but like as a kid, you know, it, it really made me like push a lot of stuff down deeper than I should have. And, um, you know, things, I would find different ways to distract myself. And, and, and a lot of the way that I distract myself was being in relationships. And, you know, when I would start a new relationship, I didn't really think about it as much because I would be really hyper-focused on this relationship or really hyper-focused on school. And, um, but, you know, I still had this thing going on in the back of my head that I just wasn't talking to anybody about. And it was causing so many problems in my life, you know, with depression and anxiety and, Um, I I still at that point hadn't really done any research into what was going on. And then, um, you know, when Laura Jane Grace came out and I started looking at her story, I began to understand more what was going on with me and doing more actual research and going to therapy, um, you know, a gender therapist and, um, everything just made sense and like felt right, you know, but it was really complicated because of stuff that was going on in my personal life at the time I had, um, you know, I had just gotten married at that point and, um, I really didn't know what to do because, you know, I, I loved my wife and, um, you know, I always wanted to be married and, and, you know, I didn't really have a family growing up and I thought it'd be cool to kind of have that as an adult. Um, but it was, it was causing so many problems in my life. So I I started telling people, um, some friends just kind of like what was going on. The initial reaction at that point was, was somewhat mixed. I had people in my life that were really supportive and some people that weren't. And ultimately I felt I don't know. I felt really stuck at that point. And I, um, you know, a a lot of choices were were made from, from, from me and from other people that were maybe in retrospect, not the best choices at the time, but, um, I, I I tried to just, you, you know, there's lots of people that are transgender, but don't, transition for one reason or another. 
um, for, for a variety of different reasons, some medical reasons, family reasons, there's hundreds of reasons. And I thought like, well, maybe I could be like that. Like I understand like who I am and maybe that's like enough for me to, um, like, like feel better, you know, but it just wasn't like, I knew what I needed to do, but I just didn't know how to do it. And, um, you know, eventually, you know, eventually the, the, the marriage ended, um, somewhat poorly because of, you know, choices that I made. And, um, at that point I thought like, okay, now I have the freedom to be able to do this thing that I need to do, but I was just so, I don't know. It's, 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 it's a scary thing to do. And I felt like I had lost the nerve and I had all these new friends now and still a lot of my old friends too, of course, but you know, I, I like a new support system and, and they were all, they're all so great. And I still just like, didn't feel like I had the nerve. Like I didn't really know what was going on. I thought that maybe I just lost the nerve for forever that I would never feel confident enough to bring this up again. And it just started, um, you know, progressively destroying my life. Like my, you know, I was coping a lot with, with, with alcohol, um, to, to a somewhat dangerous extent. And, um, you know, I, like, like I knew what, what I needed to do to, to, to feel right, to feel good. And I put it off for longer than I should have. And the partying got a little bit too out of control. Um, and at that point I realized that I needed to, that I needed to, <laughs> to confide in my friends, what was actually going on, like why things were the way that they were. And luckily those, you know, I, I feel very lucky that the people in my life and those friends were, were so nice and, and so supportive and, um, you know, no hesitation, no, no weirdness. Um, you know, they were all just so great about it. And it was really hard for me to talk about it first, just because I was scared about losing them. Like I had lost people in the past, but things went really well and, you know, I was going to do this either way, but it really helped with my confidence because um, I had a whole lot of people to tell after, after I told them. So, yeah. And you had, it's like you had people had your back, you know? Yeah. It, it makes, so, it makes so much difference. Um, yeah. It, it makes a lot of difference. Um, I mean, yeah, I would have done it either way, but it, it was really, I was really lucky yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that, Emily. I mean, that's really tremendous. And you deserve a lot of credit for, for being so brave. Um, and, and I think it's also very telling that uh, how, how selfless you are in, you know, respecting and, and understanding, you know, the, the, you know, the collateral damage that occurred as, as you were kind of corralling towards this, this n- new discovery of yourself, you know, um, it was not a perfect change as, as you described. And, uh, you know, I, do, do you feel as if, 
the good and the bad that have happened. Like, are, are you in a comfortable place now, COVID notwithstanding, but kind of considering? Yeah, COVID notwithstanding, which is a whole separate thing. Is like yeah. when I imagined, um, you know, when I when I imagined being able to transition, um, which I did every day for a really long time. I, I never imagined that it was going to be during a global pandemic where <laughs> so much was up in the air as far as like doctors' appointments and everything else I have going on. Yeah, um, I want to ask. I mean, was that just like a another? a round of hurdles and just postponements and things that you, you know, you kind of had on your calendar to get done, but now you couldn't because of this pandemic. Yeah. I mean, I when you know, when I decided that I was going to finally do it, that I was going to move forward with this, you know, I had a very specific timeline in my head and, um, you know, I always like plan things out, which I think has really been helpful with punks in Vegas. Cause I, you know, I plan out like we're going to get the coverage up at a certain time and, um, you know, with the transition, I was like, well, I'm going to make sure all my friends know by Thanksgiving and I'm going to make sure that like my work knows by my birthday and I'm going to, um, you know, start the like laser hair removal on this date. And then maybe I'll be done by this other date. I didn't realize they were going to have to be closed for like three months because a pandemic happened and no one could get near my face. But, um, you know, I have um, particular surgeries and stuff that are planned that um, are, are somewhat up in the air because they involve traveling to other countries that are currently closed to visitors. Oh, okay. So, um, but, you know, just as far as like like the place I'm in now versus the place I was, um, you know, even like a year ago today, like I never like imagined how, I, I guess I never like really imagined like how intense the like mental health benefits of being on hormone replacement therapy is, you know, for somebody who's transgender like myself. Cause you know, when I first got on it, um, I I felt really happy that I was able to start, but you know, like a few months in, even though, um, I was getting a lot of setbacks as far as like the, the hair removal being postponed and, you know, other things like that. Um, my just like, baseline mental attitude has improved like such a crazy, like an intense amount. That's like hard to describe. Like, and it's not like I'm never sad because I'm, I'm sad a lot. Like there's a lot of difficult things going on both in the world and in my own um, personal life, you know, because of all this, you know, it's a hard, hard thing to go through, but just like my baseline self is so much improved in, in just this amount of time. Like, uh, you know, I, I really wish I didn't put it off for so long now because I, did, I, I feel so much better. And yeah. It, Do you have a peace of mind that helps you, you know, as you're dealing with these postponements of, of appointments and, and just the, the hassle of, of, of living in a pandemic, let alone trying to transition during a pandemic? Do you yeah. feel like you're in a good piece, a, a good place with a good peace of mind and, to, you know, to, to quote bad brains, you, you got that PMA, so you're able to kind of weather the storm a little bit better? Yeah. I mean, it's, I don't know. I, I, I'm a somewhat impatient person sometimes. And I'm just like, like, like I just want to, I just want to do it. Like I want to get this process over with, but also, um, I, I, um, it is a slow process like in general. So it's been kind of hard <laughs> teaching myself uh, to be patient and, um, especially with the pandemic, 
because it's, it's really out of my hands if the airlines are closed in Argentina. I can't just swim there, so I, I just have to be more patient. But, um, I mean, my, my, my day-to-day life is so much better. Like, I get so happy just hearing people call me by the right name or, or call me by the right pronoun. Like, it's really hard going through life when people perceive you different than you are and having more of that alignment now um, does give me so much more peace of mind. Like I I actually, you know, I I spend so much time, like, so, you know, the depression and the anxiety prior to transitioning and especially while I was, while I was still married, you know, I, I, I just like, I couldn't really be around people anymore. Like I was going to shows and I was covering stuff, but um, you know, if it wasn't for the fact that I loved music, I probably would have never left the house. Like it was really hard for me for a while. And I just feel so different now. Like I feel a lot more comfortable, um, just talking to people. I mean, I'm, I'm still weird and awkward, but, um, it, it's just like, um, I, I just enjoy life so much more now. Like I, I never knew that I could feel like this. Yeah. I'm curious if you, you mentioned Laura Jane Grace previously and, and yeah. her transition and the, the public eye of it and that Rolling Stone article was, was quite monumental. Um, yeah. Do you kind of look at your transition as something that you want to use as, as a positive influence for other people that are going through what you're going through or do you kind of look at it from the other side of the mirror where, you know, you're obviously a friendly and, and, and kind person and you're there to help, but you want to keep this transition kind of more on, on the, the personal side and, and kind of, uh, you know, in, in, a, in, a, in the private sector of your life? You know what? It's interesting that you bring that up because there's, there is a part of me as a, as a private person that would like to be a little bit more private about it, but I, I really make it a point to, to put it out there, what I'm doing. Like if anyone, um, you know, looks on my Twitter or my Instagram, which is both just my name, Emily Matview, you know, I, I post about the stuff I'm doing, like the, the hair removal or the, um, um, now, now I'm blanking at everything I've done this year. Um, all, all the issues I've had with getting my documents changed, um, issues I've had in the past. Yeah, I remember I, you I, posting I, something about the DMV. You got you had a new passport, correct? Yeah, I got a new passport yeah. and a new license. And I saw grown ass people fighting each other because it was the first day the DMV opened. It was scary. I was glad my friend Danny was there to make sure that um, he, he stayed longer than he needed to to make sure I was safe, which was very nice. Um, but the um, I've kind of been challenging myself, I guess, a bit to put that information out to, to get out of my comfort zone because I do think a lot, and, and you know, like I'm essentially like, like I'm not Laura Jane Grace, right? Like, like she's famous. She was on MTV. Like, like, you know, her transition really changed a lot of people's lives and perceptions. You know, I'm, I'm nothing like that, but I feel like if I can help, you know, even one person like understand themselves better or, you know, maybe understand like their 
you know, transgender child better um, or a relative, then um, then, I, then I think it's important that, that I keep putting that stuff out there because I just keep going back to my situation as a kid. You know, like I didn't see a positive, um, like positive representation of a trans person in the media until like I was in my like mid to late twenties and, and maybe I was just looking in the wrong places, which, which is definitely a possibility. Um, but like, you know, I didn't see any of that and, and my life would probably be very different right now if I, if I had seen that. So if, if I can help, you know, anyone, um, by, you know, putting myself out there that I'm going to keep doing it. Yeah. Uh, the irony is, as I was phrasing that question, I realized that we're addressing this in a very public form <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> on a podcast. <laughs> I mean, I thought the same thing when, when you asked me about doing this, I'm like, you know, it has, I, I've been on one podcast in the past before, and it was my friend Andy's podcast who does, um, Andy Harrison, who does uh, most of the graphic design now for punks in Vegas. Um, and, and I did that, um, because he was doing all the graphic design and everything, but historically I've been kind of uncomfortable doing stuff like this. But, you know, when, when you asked me and asked if I was comfortable talking about this kind of stuff, I, I just felt along that same lines. Like it's, it's important to me to get this kind of information out to people so that hopefully, you know, it, it can help, hopefully help someone, I, you know, if it helps anyone. And yeah. I think that. I, I just have really just have one question for you. And it's something that, you know, I've always, I guess I, I've never been close friends enough with, with someone who's been transitioning to, to ask this. Um, but, but it's, it's, it's quite simple, you know, besides, you know, really trying to mind pronouns and, and being apologetic when we fuck up, which inevitably I always do. Um, you know, what, what can we do, you know, as like, uh, as a fellow, human, um, as a fellow punk rocker, like what, what can we do to help you and people who are in situations like yours to make your day-to-day, you know, uh, transition just incrementally smoother and better? You know, the first thing that comes to mind is really people, I don't know if this is the right word, like people like, um, like policing each other. That doesn't sound right. Like people, like, like if you have a friend who is saying shitty stuff about trans people, making transphobic jokes or remarks or something, call them out on it. Tell them they're being shitty. Um, I, I think people in uncomfortable situations just sort of, not, not everyone, of course, like I don't want people to get the wrong <laughs> idea here. I'm not calling anyone out, but you know, people make, off color comments and people instead of wanting to rock the boat, just kind of nervously giggle or something. Yeah. You know, just like you would for, for anything else, you know, I feel like, especially with the punk scene, you know, you know, we're supposed to be an, an inclusive place. So if there, you know, I, I feel like there shouldn't be any tolerance for, you know, transphobia, just like there shouldn't be any tolerance for racism or, or misogyny or anything like that in the scene and actually in all of life. Um, but, um, just if we're focusing on the punk scene right now. Um, and, and, you know, the other thing I would say is like, if, you know, if you have a person in your life, a trans person in your life and, um, 
you, you know, like, like say you're unsure what pronouns they use or, um, you know, what their, what their name is or, or, or whatever, what, what name they prefer. Um, just ask, uh, you know, it seems really simple, but I think people will sort of like avoid the topic sometimes cause they don't want to make things uncomfortable. Yeah. And that, you know, if, you know, when you know people for a long time, sometimes slip ups happen and, you know, that's something that I have to deal with a lot right now and it's not fun, but like, I understand when somebody apologizes, um, you know, you know, if you mess up, just apologize, um, and, and try really hard not to do it again. Um, but, but just like making sure that you're apologizing and trying, because I can definitely tell when, when people are trying and they slip up just, just on accident out of habit, um, versus people that like, um, it's really hard for me. Okay. So like if somebody, like, like if you hear somebody misgender, your trans friend, and that person does it, whether it's on accident or purpose, like you should remind that person. Cause like as, as a trans person, it's really, it gets so exhausting having to remind people all the time. So it's yeah. kind of it's like, you're like policing your existence in a certain way, which I can't imagine is yeah, you know, it, it, uh, really comfortable. Yeah. yeah. So, um, it can get really exhausting. I mean, I mean, most everyone's been, been super awesome, but you know, that kind of slip up happens and it kind of helps when somebody else can step in and say like, Oh, you know, I heard you said this, you, sh- you should have said that. Cause you know, occasionally it's like those, the, you'll, you'll have those people where you're like, Oh, Hey, it's actually, you know, she and her now, or, you know, whatever. And so, sometimes it's just people that get grumpy about it. And it's like, you know, I'm just trying to be polite, polite and remind you. So don't be grumpy with me. Things are, things are difficult enough. Yeah. 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 Well, thank you for that. I, I, I appreciate that. You know, I, I, my takeaway from that is just, uh, apologize if you fuck up and yeah. you know, people are going to fuck up. So just, you know, be trying, you know, yeah. don't be, don't be, uh, apathetic towards towards the plight that 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 people like yourself are going through yeah and if if you're somebody who knows that you're really bad at remembering that stuff like instead of just being like i'm really bad at remembering this stuff lol and then doing it every day just like really put the effort into trying it it makes a huge difference like really try really hard to think of this of this person the way they want you to think of them. 